Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Well, you might not be surprised to hear that I want to chat with you about coronavirus, COVID-19. It's really the center of all of our thoughts and our attention on our headlines right now, and so I want to just weigh in. How should Christians be handling it? How should we be thinking about it biblically? How should we be responding? What should we be doing in these really uncertain and tenuous days? Well, let's start with first, how should we be thinking about it biblically? I want to say that first and foremost, you and I have got to have a global view when it comes to coronavirus. We've got to acknowledge what's really happening around Around the world. This virus is not a hoax. I'm shocked that some people still think that it is. But as of right now, there's over 193,000 people who are sick with COVID-19 and over 7,800 people as of today have died from it. There's just terrible suffering happening in China, Italy, Iran, Spain, South Korea, France, Germany, and even the US, Switzerland, the United Kingdom, and more. So many precious souls have been lost. This is tragic and it should give us pause. You and I must just stop and grieve. We need to be realistic about the rate of transmission with this virus. It's very transmissible. It's very contagious. Currently, we think that the mortality rate is somewhere between 1% and 3%. The virus is known as novel because it's new to us. We don't have a cure. We don't have immunity. We don't yet have a vaccine. So really, it is a scary thing. So as we think about it, we've got to think globally. There's really significant suffering happening all around the world because of COVID-19. And the fallout really isn't just sickness and death, though that is the worst of it for sure. There's also just huge financial losses. People are losing their homes, they're losing their jobs, they're losing employment. We are already seeing that start, the start of a recession, and we know that many are going to face poverty as a result of the repercussions of COVID-19. And of course, there's definitely an emotional and mental toll that we are taking as well. So really, there's much to be genuinely grieving. It would be wrong for us as Christians to dismiss COVID-19, to just dismiss this virus, to say, well, you know, we've got to let it take its course. Some are going to die, but you know, we'll get over it. We'll move on. I think we're we are tempted to say, you know, I'll probably be fine. I'm healthy. I'm going to carry on as usual because it's not a big deal to me. But really the Christian response is empathy and love and care and compassion. We've got to acknowledge the reality around the globe and mourn with those who mourn. But as Christians, you and I also have to choose faith over fear. Now, what I've just described really is fearful. It's so easy and tempting to become overcome with anxiety and worry, but we must choose faith over fear. At the end of the day, we've got to decide how are we going to face this? How are we going to face this pandemic, this global crisis? What we know and what we must really anchor our hope in is that our God is sovereign and he is good. He is on the throne. We must only look to the cross to remember that he is good, to trust that he has our best in mind. So we who are believers should be encouraged and bolstered by our faith. We got to return to the Bible, remember what's true amongst each other, our family in Christ, going to our brothers and sisters to remember what is true. We've got to be remaining in prayer, worshipful through songs and through various creative means of just rehearsing what's true, rehearsing what's in the Bible. We have tools for this moment. We have tools for increasing our faith and over 
overcoming our fear. Just today, I was reading in John chapter 10, and I was so encouraged by the words of Jesus. He said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. So I'm just, as I'm looking at headlines, as I'm trying to understand COVID-19, as I'm trying to do what's best for my family and my community, I, I am I can be overwhelmed by anxiety. But I just look at these words of Jesus. He knows me. I know him. I can never be snatched out of his hands. I have eternal life. I will never perish. We have have a God who is kind and good and he cares for us. And Christian, my hope is that you would be really anchored in those foundational truths as we weather the storm ahead. This life is indeed full of trouble. There's no denying it. We live in a broken, fallen world and there is much suffering. But we say with Paul, who said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So I'm just on here to say, let's fix our eyes on what is unseen. Let's put our hope in what is eternal. We have an eternal hope. So let's root ourselves in that. Now, I just want to take a quick detour here for a second and just say really with pain that this hope is reserved really only for those who trust in Christ as Savior. For those of us who through no effort of our own, no credit of our own, through those of us who've been saved by Jesus, the Bible says we were delivered from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved son because of the great love with which God has loved us, not because we've done anything to earn it, but we are covered by the blood of Jesus. So when you and I die, we who are Christians, we look forward to heaven. We look forward to unity and living with our God. But this is not true for non-Christians, for non-believers, for those who reject God's free grace, those who reject Jesus's free gift of salvation. They don't get to enjoy the same peace that you and I enjoy. Peace is not afforded to non-believers. And it literally pains me to say that. I want that peace that passes understanding to be available to all people, to my loved ones, to my friends, to my family. I want them to trust Christ and have peace not only for today and for COVID-19, but for all eternity. So I just wanted to add that here. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, my plea with you is that you would consider his gift, that you would consider the great exchange where you get to exchange your sin for his righteousness. And I just beg you to acknowledge your sin and turn to your maker in repentance and accept his offer of salvation. And then peace will flood in. And for my Christian listeners, this is a time for you and I to be praying for our lost loved ones, to be pleading with them to turn to God, to be looking for opportunities to share God's word with them and to just be asking them to, to look for the eternal hope that Jesus offers them. So very much a part of the Christian response to COVID-19 must be us boldly sharing God's grace and truth with those that we love. Okay, enough of that detour. I want to go back to now. How might we be biblically responding to our current global crisis? What's a biblical response? Well, we've already established that we've got to be motivated by faith over fear. Our worldview must be grounded in biblical truth and that God is holding all of us in his very capable hands. And remembering, we just look to the cross to be reminded that he is good, that he does work everything for our good. And so I think this global pandemic, there really are some hidden blessings in it. I don't want to minimize the pain, the grief, the sorrow, the huge you know, havoc that is being wrecked all over the globe, but let's remember some of the blessings too. 
I think that one blessing from this is that we are reminded that we are frail, that you and I as humans are not sovereign. This teeny little germ is causing great, great turmoil all over the globe. We are remembering that it's God's will that comes to pass, not our own. We have this reminder of humility and frailty and the brevity of life, and that is good to remember because it recenters us on what matters. We focus again on what is true, what is good, what is beautiful. So this is a chance in the midst of the grief and the heartache and in the midst of the suffering, this is a chance for you and I to reflect on what have we really been living for? How have we really been spending our time? Are we really invested in what matters? Anything like this that prunes us or purifies us or draws us back into fixing our eyes on Jesus, not on ourselves, it's a good thing. That's the blessing of this pandemic. This is a chance for us all to slow down and strengthen our faith. We have, we've got to ask in this moment, can we recalibrate ourselves and ask, where is my hope? In what or who do I trust? What am I living for? Do my beliefs reflect in my behavior? Would someone watching me like my kids know and believe that I trust Jesus? Another blessing that I'm seeing is basically the global consensus that life has value. So we're seeing that reiterated around the world in the middle of this pandemic. And this is huge because normally that's largely questionable in our society. When it's just business as usual on the day-to-day basis, we are quick to be willing to snuff out the lives of those who are most vulnerable. The unborn, the differently abled, those who are terminally sick or elderly, we have laws in place that allow us or even encourage us to end those lives. But in this crisis, I see the majority of the whole world agreeing that life is precious and worth saving. So any steps that we can take to practice social distancing or preventing the spread of the disease is really a statement that you and I care about others, that we value the elderly, that we value people who have compromised immune systems. And so it's important. It's an important statement on the value and the treasure of life. And I love seeing this in the middle of the pandemic. So these are sort of philosophical responses. I've talked largely now about how we might think about or what we believe about God or how we're going to think about the, um, this crisis of COVID-19. But let's take this discussion to a more practical place. What should you and I actually be doing in the middle of this crisis? Well, obviously we want to love God and love neighbor. That's the calling for every Christian, love God and love neighbor. We love God with our faith and our testimony and drawing near to him and rehearsing his excellencies to those who will listen. But how do we love neighbor? Well, the first obvious answer is that we can love our neighbors by going towards them, by reaching out, by finding out what they need. Christians have a rich history. I said this in my last episode of ministering to those who are sick, those who are needy or poor or suffering. Just a quick preview of history reveals that Christians have always gone towards the plague, towards the epidemic, towards the disaster. That's our biblically informed and spirit empowered inclination. And that is good. So we actually have a friend who just left yesterday with Samaritan's Purse to go to Italy to set up a field hospital near Milan. So just like Samaritan's Purse has always done in response to many crises around the world in recent memory, whether it's earthquakes or hurricanes or Ebola, you see Samaritan's Purse always showing up. They're always there. And our friend is almost always on the first flight out. He's always on the front lines. We are immensely proud of him. So he's en route there to set up mobile hospitals in Italy. And we love that. We are praying for him. But obviously he is unique. He has education and training and he works with experts in the field. He's in a position to literally go into the center of this pandemic 
pandemic and bring relief. And he does so at great risk. He and his wife have counted the cost. They know these missions could lead to great suffering, but they are not motivated by fear. They're motivated by love. And so he goes, but most of us cannot do that. Most of us, you and I are not in a position to go like that. We absolutely must be praying and giving financially and sacrificially, but we can't actually go. But what we can do is reach out to our literal and physical neighbors. So I'm going to get into social distancing in just a second, but before I do, let's think about how we can actually be reaching out to the literal neighbors on our street. You know, first of all, we've got to have eyes and ears for our elderly loved ones, for our moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, those who have chronic health um, conditions. You know, we've got to be calling them daily, checking in, just making sure that they're okay. But then as far as our little literal neighbors on our street, we could, if we can, maybe set up a text chain or an email chain just to sort of be in touch digitally with them. But maybe you don't have that contact information. Maybe you do want to go door to door or somehow personally visit and sort of step back off the front porch and from a distance, you know, introduce yourself and perhaps leave a piece of paper with your name and number. One family I know, I thought this was really creative and a great idea this past weekend. They took a roll of toilet paper and put it in a clear bag with a bow on it and taped this nice little note to the front, introducing themselves and sharing their contact information and just offering any assistance to their neighbors. And they walked up and down the street as a family and prayed for their neighbors and left that roll of toilet paper on every front porch. So just stating your availability and your concern to your neighbors, I think will go really far. You might be the only person doing that in their lives. Of course, in your churches and in your social circles, I would encourage you to maybe sit down and make a list. This is what I just did the other day. I made a list of all of the women that I'm really, you know, who are my dear friends or women who I have a, a strong relationship with, whether they're leaders in my church or my small group or women in my Bible study, people that I'm close to and sort of accountable to or accountable for, sort of responsible for, like they're in my life, I made a list and I am calling them and texting them frequently. I'm trying to communicate with them as often as I can, just saying, how are you? How's your anxiety? How can I pray for you? What do you need? Or here's a Bible verse from this morning that really helped me. I want to share it with you. Um, And of course, I know churches all over the place are getting really creative. I'm looking at ways to host Bible study on Zoom, to have prayer gatherings on Facebook. You know, there's ways we can all be communicating and encouraging and gathering together online, if not in real life. And so think about like your book club or your mom's play group or just whoever, Who are you in life with? What are your gifts? What are your resources and circumstances? And how can you steward them to honor God and love others in the midst of this crisis? Use technology. It's a gift. Be creative. Okay, so now we're to the social distancing part of this podcast, and I feel like this is really important. Here is the portion of this episode where I really want you to pay attention. Here's what I have been obsessively researching and trying to understand so that I can pass on this knowledge, which I pray will lead to wisdom in my own family, in my own church, and in my own community. Pass this on to your friends. What I want to share here feels sort of shocking and uncomfortable, but I'm sharing it because I think it really matters. I am literally recording this episode at two in the morning because I've been researching all day and I just really want to get this knowledge into your minds and into your hearts. So here's what I want to say. You have probably heard in recent days that we need to quote, flatten the curve. So this is in reference to the reality that COVID-19 cases in the U.S. are now on an exponential curve. Cases are no longer a handful every day but they are increasing rapidly. So much so that experts say we could have more than 110 million cases by mid-May in the United States. 
So obviously this trajectory would be too much for our current healthcare structure. We don't have the hospital beds or staff or ventilators to deal with that many acutely sick people at one time. So we want to slow the rate of transmission. That's what it means to flatten the curve, slow down the spread of this disease. Well, to do that, we're told in an excellent article um, in the Washington Post that I'm going to link to this show we should be maintaining distance from one another. So there are excellent graphics in the article and it shows you just in a really simple and plain way how just one person who has COVID-19 can infect an entire community. The graphics are compelling and they're simple and they show you how to keep your distance from other people, to stay home from work, to stay home from school, from church. So please take a look at the article. Compelled by this reality, the government has rightly canceled many large group gatherings so we can flatten the curve. Now, this feels funny to us, this social distancing to us who are Christians, especially because we love to gather. We hunger for fellowship. We are taught to visit the sick, not keep distance from the sick. But the way to love the least of these right now is to create social distance or to isolate ourselves. Now, our family, for example, we just got home from a trip on Sunday that was cut short. We should be traveling right now, but we came home because of COVID. And we are we have chosen to self-quarantine for two weeks because we've been in locations and airports that have confirmed cases. We've decided that the best way for us to love our community is for our family to stay in our own home for the next two weeks. And so that is what we are doing. Now, there is a tragic example of failing to do social distancing by one patient in South Korea. I'm going to link the article um, to the show, but this is patient number 31, as she is known. The story with this woman is that she chose to attend church after developing a fever. She actually visited the doctor and they encouraged her to take the coronavirus test, but she refused. So this was still in the early days of the virus in South Korea. Um, she hadn't traveled to China. So for whatever reason, maybe she, you know, maybe everybody just felt like, well, you know, we can err on the safe side. It's probably fine, but she refused the test. Well, after having the fever, she went to church and then out to a buffet lunch and she traveled to both places with friends and in a taxi. So the Korean Centers for Disease Control and Prevention began researching who the woman may have come into contact with. After they realized she had COVID-19, they went down the trail to see who did she have contact with. She actually attended a large church service right before she had symptoms, before the fever, and she attended one after she had the fever. They ended up putting together a list of 9,300 people who had attended those services. And back in early March, around 1,200 of those attendees already had flu-like symptoms. Hundreds of cases of COVID-19 in South Korea have now been confirmed, and they all link directly to patient number 31. Not only that, but it's looking possible that the same patient, number 31, is responsible for a second major cluster in South Korea, as there are connections from that church that she attended to a funeral in another city. So she infected people at the church who traveled to a funeral, and now we have two major outbreak clusters in South Korea, which accounts for about 80% of the cases in the whole country. So it's astonishing, but doctors can trace all those cases back to one woman who gathered in a large public group both before and after she had the fever. Her one case has led to literally thousands of others, 80% of 8,000 cases in one country. This is so tragic, but we've got to learn from this and realize that isolation truly does save lives, possibly not just a few lives, but really thousands of lives. So here's what's really tricky. The most recent research shows that it's likely people without symptoms 
are spreading the coronavirus the most right now. This is surprising and it's counterintuitive. There have been multiple studies though in cluster outbreaks here in the US and abroad that reveal people who are asymptomatic, that means people who have no symptoms, and people who have mild symptoms are passing the disease on at really high rates. So studies, in fact, in multiple countries show that upwards of 50% of people who have coronavirus have gotten it from people who are pre-symptomatic. So we need to be considering really how to stay home, even if we feel fine, even if we're sure that we haven't been in contact with anyone else who has it. Studies are showing us that we cannot put all of our trust and confidence in just telling people who are sick to stay home. We can't only quarantine if we're sick. We need to consider staying home, even if we're healthy. Well, just two more articles and bodies of research that I want to share with you before I sign off. They've just come out in the past 24 to 48 hours. There's a study out of the United Kingdom that comes to some similar conclusions of research that's conducted and shared by Francis Collins, who is the director of the National Institute of Health here in the U.S. So I'm just going to combine these findings here, but I'm going to link to both articles in the show notes. So this combined research shows that if we continue down our current path, so what we're currently doing for social distancing, we are likely to see between one and 2 million deaths caused by COVID in the U S in the next eight weeks. So if we just maintain what we're doing now, we're looking at one to 2 million deaths in the next two months. Francis Collins of the NIH points out that we are on the same exponential curve as Italy. And if we don't take extreme measures towards real social isolation, we will see the calamity that Italy now has on its hands. We'll see that in our own country, probably in one to two weeks. So the reason is just like in Italy, our healthcare system won't be able to handle it. If so many people get sick at one time, severely ill patients won't get the care that they need. There just won't be enough beds or doctors or ventilators. So a couple days ago, Collins said this, and I'm quoting him. Now we have a chance to change that by applying now the most draconian measures on social distancing to try to limit the spread of coronavirus from person to person. But we will not succeed at changing the course from that exponential curve unless there is full national engagement in those commitments to try to reduce spread. I think we're getting there. Certainly in the last few days, there seems to be a lot of waking up to just how serious the threat is, but that's obviously not universal across this large and complicated country. So Collins and the experts in the UK and others agree what we need to do now is suppress COVID-19, not mitigate. In other words, we need to drastically isolate ourselves, everyone together on the same page so that the number of those who get sick is small and our hospitals can handle it. I think it's been really good to see from President Trump and from the federal government and city and state government, city governments and state governments, there's been more restrictions in the past few days, and that's good. It's good that we've canceled school, university classes, people are working from home. We were told first not to gather in groups of 50. Now that number's down to 10. We're seeing cities and states closing restaurants, bars, theaters, and gyms. These measures are good and necessary, albeit they may be too little too late. I hope not. We're hoping and praying that they will prove successful. And just in my limited observations, I think our nation can do more. I'm honestly astonished by some of the conversations I'm having with people who still think that this is a hoax, or they think, you know what? It's it's not a big deal. It's just the flu. It's fine. Or they think, you know, I'll be fine. I'm not going to die from it. So why should I change my behavior? Or they just think that the media is hyping this up and making us all hysterical. Now, of course, I know the media does hype and there are, you know, it's unreasonable hysterics. 
but this is a time for all of us to practice selflessness and seek the good of others, to willingly lay down our plans, cancel them so that we can ensure the safety and health of our friends and family and countrymen. And I know this translates into a great sacrifice for all of us. And many of us are going to endure significant financial loss. We're going to lose jobs. We might be able be unable to make our mortgages. People who are paid an hourly wage are going to be told they can't come into work. You know, diners, restaurants, coffee shops, they're shuttering even now. They're closing even now. Isolation will be a significant sacrifice, but doing nothing is not really an option. So let's you and I be thinking of ways we can share our resources with one another. Maybe we can look for families in our community who could use free groceries or help with their cash flow, or we could order delivery from our favorite neighborhood restaurant. Let's ask God to give us eyes to see how we can alleviate suffering, the suffering of those who are sick or at risk of being sick, as well as the suffering of those who are losing a lot because of these turbulent days. And the reality is really, we are all learning a ton every day. Things are changing drastically. One thing I learned in the last 24 hours that was especially astonishing to me and that it will, and that I just, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around is that it will likely be necessary for our efforts to suppress COVID-19 to become a lifestyle for the next year until a vaccine is available. So in other words, we probably need to shift our thinking that this is only going to last a couple weeks to there's going to be major disruptions for it up to the next year as we seek to avert major outbreaks. So Francis Collins, again, quoting him, he said, I think people need to be prepared that we are going to be in this space for more time than they will like. In many ways, the best sign that we're making progress will be that the duration of the epidemic goes on a little longer. That's what flattening the curve means. It means that the most serious cases do get stretched out over time and don't all happen right at the beginning. So anybody who's imagining that this will be over and done within a month needs to get their mind around the fact that we're in this, I think, for quite a long stretch of time. So do extend grace to yourself and to others as you try to understand these headlines. Give space to one another to gain knowledge and wisdom. Share information. Don't share hysteria. Share what is true with your community. And bottom line, honestly, stay home. Seriously evaluate every interaction you are considering having. Is it worth it to have those meetings and gatherings? And if they must take place, how can you be very careful in the midst of them? I will close with this. We need to be couching the very real danger and the very real threat of COVID-19 into the reality of the timeless truths of scripture. So yes, it's scary. Yes, it's real. But let's put it in the context of the whole story of God. Our world is changing right before our eyes, and we probably never will be the same. But when you hold that up next to the truths of a preeminent God who transcends time, the God who made the mountains and the sea and DNA, you and I can breathe deep and we can rest and trust him. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. So look for that good word. Maybe go to Matthew 6 and remember God's care for the lilies and the sparrows. Remember, he's a good father who gives good gifts. Maybe memorize Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. Or think about Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him. Or Philippians 4, just focusing on whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. Go to the word of God in the midst of tumultuous and ever-changing and fearful days here on earth. Let's lift our eyes to heaven and remember him who sits on the throne. Let's love our God by remembering what is true and practicing great faith. And let's love our neighbors by walking in wisdom. Thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.